It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk basketball, March Madness? Who wants to talk football, free agency? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, John Riley. We welcome you to our bonus podcast coverage on a Monday afternoon from our studios in San Francisco. In your left hand, you got a basketball. Wait, wait a minute. We're in, in San Francisco? In San Diego. <laughs> I am so distorted today. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> uh, in your left hand, you have a basketball. On your right hand, you have a football. Do you mm. think we have enough things to talk about today on our bonus coverage? Yeah, we do. We've got a lot to talk about. I mean, it's been a great sports weekend, and we're getting started with March Madness. This is my favorite time of the year. Okay, before we start, remind everybody about the fans forum and about subscribing so they can get all the information, whether they're in San Diego or up in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, well, we're on a blowtorch signal that goes from <laughs> Baja to the Canadian Rockies and points beyond now. So, uh, yeah, you could subscribe. You can uh, subscribe on YouTube, get all the updates. We put out video clips all throughout the week. And we also um, ask you to, to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. When you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Hacksaw's on just about every podcast platform. So you could subscribe there. And be sure to join us in the fans forum. Um, Hacksaw will take your questions and comments. Just type them in in the live, sh- live chat on Facebook or YouTube, and we'll get you involved in the fans forum segment and i invite you to go to my website it's all written you will love it tons of information lee hacksaw hamilton.com check it out every day and by the way when you sample what we're doing with our podcast give us a thumbs up that'll really help us john shoot a three-point shot pick a march madness basketball topic you want to talk I about mean, was it the 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 mountain west conference just was broke over the weekend the aztecs came in and they swept it three the games in three days and i loved every minute of it from the maui invitational way back to March Madness, which is about to begin. This has been some ride at San Diego State. Let's review the Aztecs winning the Mountain West Championship. They finally wore down and put away Utah State. Three games in about 44 hours, three victories, and the Aztecs are now going on to the first round of the NCAA tournament. They have a favorite phrase at San Diego State, defense travels. Mm-hmm. And thank goodness the airlines did not lose their luggage because they needed the defense to finally win that game. It was not very easy for San Diego State. You know, they stra- staggered and struggled the whole first half. They shot 30% from the floor in the first half of the game and they were down 11, looking for heroes to start the second half. First hero, A.J. Arup, power forward, 6'6", plays like he's 7 foot, built like a brick wall, and he came off the bench, and I counted in a six-minute span. Arup had two key baskets, two rebounds, block shot, and a steal. Mm. In a six-minute window, the 11-point deficit, John, became an eight-point lead, and San Diego State was never headed after that. Second hero, uh, Jaden Ledee, comes off the bench with that 6'9 frame, and he banged bodies, and he went to the basket, and he boarded missed shots. By the time he was done, he had 13 points. He had nine rebounds. The numbers were staggering because of what 
A.G. Arup did and what Jaden Ledee did. They went on a 29-9 spurt. Nice. Blew the game wide open. And other staggering numbers, uh, Utah State, the top three shooters, four for 24. Mm. Utah State at one point, two for 13 on threes. Hardly got anything accomplished. They had to work so hard to get shots, and then they didn't get good shots because there were hands on the face, bodies on your body. What a tremendous win. In the history of modern-day Aztec basketball, this might be the best defense San Diego State has ever had. And I wrote a my one-man's opinion column on my website. And if you're on the live stream, go to my website tonight and just check my column on the Aztecs. This was not a masterpiece. This was not a Rembrandt. This was not a Picasso. It was more like a smudged finger painting. But what a great victory by San Diego State with their backs to the wall, down 11, on the road, with zero offense to win this thing and now move on to March Madness. A phenomenal job that Brian Dutcher has done coaching these kids up, implementing the X's and O's at the defensive end of the floor, what a good group of kids that they've got. What a really good program. Yeah, I mean, well, it was a great uh, tournament for the team. It seems that Dutcher and his staff have recruited the right combination of players, you know, because they go nine deep. And in a in a tournament where you're going to be playing three games in like 48 hours, they can bring out second waves. I mean, it's almost like a hockey team with shifts, the way they bring them out. So they have fresh legs. The defense travels. And, yeah, for Utah State, they couldn't hit the threes. Their legs were going weak, and they were coming up short. So the Aztecs are built for March. Let's see if they can take it to the next step. Okay, that gets us to the second question here on your list of questions that we're talking about. Yeah, so th- this is going to be interesting to me because this College of Charleston reminds me a little bit of Utah, Utah State with the three-point shooting. How do you see this matchup going down, Hacksaw? San Diego State is 27-6, and six and they're living off their defense. College of Charleston in South Carolina is 31-3, and three, and they live off their offense, averaging 80 points per game. They're hitting 10 threes per night. They're shooting 30 threes per Per game. That is their offense. They have one big man and they got four guards. So, what do you think they're going to do? Mm-hmm. I think they're going to tr- try to light it up from the arc. I don't think that they can challenge San Diego State by driving to the basket because of the bigs that the Aztecs have. It's going to be an enormous challenge. But they're averaging 80 points per game. Uh, this is a pretty good Charleston team. Their head coach is the one that developed Winthrop of South Carolina into a small college power. Winthrop goes to the NCAAs. He came from Skip Prosser's program as a longtime assistant at Xavier University. So he's learned a lot, and he's learned from some pretty good coaches along the way. Won 17 games his first year at Charleston. Follow that up by going 31-3. and three. And he's not doing it as if it's transfer you. He's doing it with kids they recruit and develop, and they have an odd transfer here or there. I think they're going to have a real tough time with the Aztecs defense. I, you know, do you ever try to shoot a basketball with a guy doing this to you? <laughs> yeah. Or a guy in front of your face with hands? Or right. a guy putting body on body? Mm-hmm. Or busting through picks to make sure you're still defended? 
That's what Charleston did. They're in for some culture shock here. Aztecs have played the big-time schedule. Charleston has only played North Carolina and Virginia Tech. Lost one, beat the other. So they played a much different schedule, not loaded with quad one games, but a lot of quad three and quad four games. But they're good. They're good offensively. And, you know, if if they start hitting a ton of threes, that could be hard because it takes a lot of two-point baskets and free throws to make up for the other guys hitting a ton of threes. So this will be interesting. There, there's history here that we have to pay attention to about San Diego State. Coach Dutcher is 146 and 46, 100 games over 500. Amazing statistic. But in March, he's 0-3 in mm-hmm. the tournament. Ooh, that's not good. San Diego State, unfortunately, this is an East Coast game. It's in Orlando. They did not get put into the Sacramento Regional. San Diego State is 6-20 and overall on East Coast games. Aztecs in their history in March Madness in the tournament, 6-14. and So they've got some things that they've got to accomplish here. I don't want to use the word one and done. I don't think it'll happen this time. But there is history that's tagged onto their baggage going to Orlando. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a year they're going to actually make some progress. They're going to get the monkey off their back. The Aztecs have a really good three-point defense. I mean, they, they guard the line really well. And to your point, arms in the face. I mean, you, they, they teach those kids. Like AG is, man, he's got his hand right in the shooter's face the whole time. But I was watching some video clips of Charleston, and it seems like they're more than just a three-point shooting team. They've got a lot of guys that are cutting to the basket, a lot of back cuts, a little bit of Princeton going on there. So the Aztecs are going to have to be very alert. Uh, but Utah State plays a similar game. But you know what? This game is going to be at 12 noon Pacific time on Thursday. And then we'll be back with Hacksaw's headlines at 3 o'clock. So we'll have something to talk about now. I, I think it's going to be hard to shoot threes because of that that body bag defense that San Diego State plays. And it's hard to run cutters and backdoor screens and all that. Because what's the other thing San Diego State does? Hands, mm-hmm. blocks, tons of passes, turnovers, ball goes the other way. Defense triggers San Diego State's offense. Fun game comes Thursday, 12 noon. Now, we got the other teams in Southern California going to get to play too, John. Yeah, so, I mean, UCLA, um, they kind of stumbled a little bit there at the end in the Pac-12 tournament. We'll talk about that. But, you know, they've got an interesting opponent. We expect them to go pretty deep this this March. North Carolina, Asheville is 27-7. Much like College at Charleston, they play in a much smaller Division One conference. UCLA has had to overcome the loss of their top defender, the defender of the year, the Pac-12, Jalen Clark. But what's happened in the back half of the schedule is their blue-chip red freshman has done a hell of a job. Amir Bailey is stroking it from outside and putting it on the floor and going to the basket. And whereas I think there was a lot of concern all season that all UCLA would be would be a two-man team, Jaime Jaquez and Tiger Campbell. Amir Bailey has now become an instant offense guy. I think UCLA probably wins this game quite easily. And then UCLA might be on a collision course to go play Gonzaga uh, coming up, because that's in that bracket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to be great to watch these guys go. Um, you know, UCLA obviously has all that tradition, but it's nice to see them back on top. You know, they got a great squad, but injuries have been doing them in. So we'll see how this goes. 
the Bruins and Gonzaga, they faced off last year in the Final Four, and I think Gonzaga got the better of them. Yep. So this could be a collision course and maybe a rematch. Uh, keep an eye out for a kid by the name of Drew Pember from North Carolina, Asheville, transfer Tennessee Volunteers, really good player, 21 points, 9 rebounds per game. The other team in L.A. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, USC, I mean, they, they made the tournament as well. I mean, California is loaded with teams, including St. Mary. So SC's in this. They're going against Michigan State. You know, I was at that game in uh, when Michigan State played Gonzaga on the aircraft carrier. And this is a tough squad. I mean, Michigan State is going to be a, a tough out for USC. They are the carbon copy of the personality of their coach, Tom Rizzo. Hard nose. Tom Rizzo's got 53 career wins in March Madness. Think about that. 53 victories. Uh, Andy Enfield's done a good job at USC, but, but he's been plagued by the loss of kids who've gone to the NBA really early. And at that, it's made it hard to have any continuity at all. It's almost as if, John, he's just got a new team virtually every year. But he's got a good team. Boogie Ellis is a really good guard. Now, sometimes he's being asked to take on too much of the, the workload. Kobe Johnson has grown as a young shooter. And they've got a tremendous freshman by the name of Trey White, who's become a scorer the back half of the Pac-12 schedule. Michigan State's Michigan State with a bunch of hard-nosed kids, and they play really, really well. However, very young USC team. And who you playing? Rizzo. Mm. And who you playing? Rizzo's kids. You know how street-tough Michigan State plays basketball in the Big Ten? This is, I think this is going to be one and done. And I think it's going to be hard for Andy Enfield because he's going to continue to lose these kids on a year-by-year basis. They're having their own one-and-done problem with the makeup of, of uh, USC roster. He's done a good job since coming from Florida Gulf Coast University, but he's just he's not elevated Southern Cal basketball into the same front page, sports page coverage that UCLA gets across the board. Yeah, I mean, he's he's had a tough go of it, but... I remember, I think the Aztecs played them last year, and their bigs were really athletic. It was like the old Aztec teams where they were they were strong, they were long, they rebounded, they guarded, but they didn't hit very many shots. They had pretty low field goal percentage. So maybe to this year's team is like them. We'll, we're going to find out. But for Southern California basketball fans, we've got a lot of teams to root for. Uh, the best part of March Madness is what we saw on TV on Sunday, John. This is so cool. You know, Selection Sunday is great. We know who the number one seeds are and who's been at the top of the poll. There have been seven different schools this year that were ranked number one in a topsy-turvy college basketball season. But the cool thing is to see those little guys get the bid. Northern Kentucky, they're going to the tournament. Mm-hmm. You know, that's absolutely amazing. Farley Dickinson. Kennesaw State was 1-28 two years ago, and they're in March Madness now nice. uh, in a play-in game. Texas Southern was a sub-500 team, got hot at the end and won their conference, and they're going to the tournament, I think, with a record of maybe 14-20. and 20. It's absolutely wow. amazing. So wow. that's the coolest thing about March Madness is to see the little guy Get the opportunity to have a good season. Go to March Madness, and you never know. Can a 16 beat a 1? Yeah, it's happened one time in the history of the NCAA, but that's why you roll the basketball out on the floor. 
uh, to see who's going to win. And I will tell you, there's some great first-round matchups. Uh, Kentucky-Providence is going to be cool. Both these teams are made up of transfers from other schools. <clears throat> that That's going to be a good game. Keep an eye on UConn-Iona. You think they're going crazy in the Northeast? UConn is a national year-by-year power. Uh, Rick Pitino's done a pretty good job at Iona, and the rumors are he's coaching his last weeks of basketball with the Gales because he may wind up with the Georgetown University Hoyas job. So that that's a game worth watching. And Virginia Furman, that's kind of a, a schizo game because UVA doesn't score a lot. They play great defense, and Furman scores a lot. And the winner of Virginia Furman would play San Diego State if the Aztecs can post their victory over College of Charleston. So those are those are really the top top games just to keep an eye on come Thursday, come Friday, first round. Well, remember last year, um, St. Peter's was like a 15 seed, and then they get to the Elite Eight, right? Yep. So, that, I mean, I'm, I'm, I always love seeing these Cinderella stories. But, you know, when they you know, when they announce the brackets, you know, you watch the Selection Sunday. It's a great show. And, of course, they, you know, it was right out of the gate. I mean, it was San Diego State College or Charleston. And right away, you know, uh, I was it Clark Kellogg and some of those guys, they were already picking Charleston. Oh, this is a good upset pick. Again, no respect for San Diego State. But, you know, Dutcher needs to get a win. He's he's 54 behind uh, Izzo, right? If Izzo has 54 wins, Dutcher needs to get on the board here. He needs to take care of business. It's going to be fun. Uh, where's Rodney Dangerfield's favorite phrase? I get no respect. That's what San Diego State basketball is all about. They're going to have to prove themselves. They'll do it with their defense. I think that's what's going to happen. Before I go to the next topic on the table, which is going to be NFL football, which has grabbed the headlines on a Monday afternoon. John, for those of us watching live stream on our bonus coverage podcast today, how do they subscribe and how do they join what we're doing? Yeah, so you can get involved in the fans forum. I already got, I already see a number of messages up on the fans forum now. Just uh, type your question or comment in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. You know, your question or take for Hacksaw. We'll get to that at the fans forum at the conclusion of Hacksaw's headlines. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, including on YouTube. Click on that bell. You'll get the updates every time we release a video clip. And go to my website, leehacksawhamilton.com. It is all written. You will really like what I have to say. And if you're an Aztec, fan. Read my column today about who they are, how they got there, and who's to blame for what San Diego State basketball has become a raging success. That's on my one man's opinion column. And like anything else, when you sample what we do on our podcast and all the different platforms, give us a thumbs up. A, we think we're pretty good. B, your thumbs up helps us a great deal. Football, John, first day free agency. Wow. Wow. I mean, it was interesting the way this the, the number one pick was finally dealt. I mean, you were talking about that weeks ago. Well, we projected that Chicago was going to shop the pick and it's going to probably trade the pick. I think what surprised everybody is the guy that got the pick. I'm talking about the Carolina Panthers with that logo there next to the Bears logo. What a price. They paid four number one draft picks, a two and a three, and their top wide receiver to make this deal go through. D.J. Moore goes to the Chicago Bears, along with Carolina's one this year, one next year, a two and a three. It's a five-for-one package. That's an unbelievable gift that the Chicago Bears got. Bears, of course, had committed to keep Justin Fields, so they dropped from the first slot down to number nine. But there's such a deep draft defensively, they're going to get 
good players, even starting at nine. And they've already dove into free agency today and scored a couple of hits by spending money on defense. Carolina, they stripped the thing bare. They'll have the number one pick. I'm not sure whether it's going to be Bryce Young, Alabama, or C.J. Stroud of Ohio State. Uh, but, the, you know, they're going to be wafer thin in terms of talent other places unless they pour into free agency and try to make some things happen. So I was surprised the trade was made as early as it was because the draft is not next week. Draft is, you know, into next month. That's an awful early time to pull the trigger on a deal without shopping that pick more to see if there's a better price than what Carolina paid. But Carolina paid a hell of a price to get the number one pick in the draft. Yeah, I mean, it was huge. I mean, the Bear fans have to be ecstatic because they've been sort of in no man's land for years. But what do you think Carolina is going to do with the pick? Are they going to take one of those, the two top QBs, Stroud or Young? Or, you know, that there's a quarterback at Kentucky and one at Florida that are both you know, top picks as well. Well, th- those guys are all probably be first round draft choices. But there's a big difference between what you got with Bryce Young at Alabama and what you got with CJ Stroud at Ohio State as compared to Will Levis or Anthony Richardson. Levis has only played one year of major college football. Richardson is a dynamic athlete, but the kid only completed 53% of his passes at Florida. It's just a lot of issues here about accuracy. Uh, I think Carolina's going to take one of those two quarterbacks. Frank Reich said we had to have a quarterback. When Derek Carr came off the table as a free agent and never never got to Carolina for the visit with Reich, and I thought that was a great place for him to go, uh, I, I think that Carolina said, okay, we got to go trade up. Trade up now, not let somebody jump in front of us or outbid us or whatever. So that's why they paid the price. But they will take one of those two quarterbacks, I'm sure. I, I think that's the big story. Next story in the NFL. <laughs> Okay, yeah. So let's let's go up the road here and talk a bit about the Rams. I mean, Jalen Ramsey was on the on the tra- on the trade block, and it looks like it went down. Yeah, and and they're tearing the team down. That Super Bowl is now two years removed. I bet LA doesn't even make the playoffs. Uh, they got they got all kinds of cap problems. They got injury problems. They had draft pick number problems. Now they've picked up a pile of draft picks along the way in compensa- compensation picks and the trade with Miami. Jalen Ramsey's dynamic player, huge payroll item. Uh, he gets traded to Miami, but all they got was a number three pick. They traded two number ones to get Ramsey a couple years ago, then gave him a monster contract and all they get back for a Pro Bowl cornerback, mouthy as he is, is a third-round pick. And by the way, they take a $12 million cap hit in the Ooh. process. I just don't understand that methodology of, of if you're moving guys off your roster, you got to get more than just a third-round draft pick. And why, why was there such urgency to take that offer as compared to shopping him a little bit more? Uh, it, it, it's a tough blow because the Rams got rid of Ramsey. They had earlier released their leading tackler, the linebacker Bobby Wagner, who might be going back to Seattle, still in the division. I don't like that. And they just released Leonard Floyd, the pass-rushing defensive end linebacker, who had 11 quarterback sacks. So they're shedding a lot of payroll, but they're shedding talent. Now, you know, does Aaron Donald, when he goes into the defensive huddle, the superstar defensive tackle, have to hand out name tags? (laughs) 
I'm yeah. Aaron Donald, your captain. Who are you? Yeah. Oh, you replaced him who was dealt. I don't understand the methodology of what the Rams are doing with their player personnel decisions. Yeah, I think Matthew Stafford thought he escaped this when he left Detroit, and now he's back in the same bucket with this. But I'm kind of curious a little bit about Miami. I mean, they're getting Jalen Ramsey. They were in the playoffs. But Tua is, I mean, what's his status? Is he coming back? Is he healthy? Or are the Miami Dolphins going to get another QB? Well, they just picked up another QB. Uh, Sam Darnold has just signed at the Sour to leave Carolina. Ex-New York Jet number one pick is going to Miami as a, as a backup quarterback. Uh, but Tua's cleared protocol. He's obviously doing a weight strength training program. Uh, in this offseason, he's going to have to change the way he plays and runs just because of the fact he had multiple concussions this past year. But it seems to be green light go for him. But Miami, they just seem to be all in. I mean, they're pouring such resources into talent acquisitions and, and getting Ramsey just solidifies a really good secondary that they've got. So there's no doubt that Miami is going to try to chase down Buffalo uh, in the AFC East. Okay, so that's that deal. Now we got more transactions around the NFL. Today was the first day of free agency. In the first three hours, 24 name players wow. signed and changed team. 24 in the first three hours. Like I said, open your checkbook. Here they are. Here they are. So yeah, let's let's talk about Jimmy G. I mean, he's probably the big name that's that was just signed. He's finally found a landing spot. He lands in Las Vegas, reunites. <clears throat> with Josh McDaniels, who was his offensive coordinator when he started his career in New England. This kind of came as a surprise, John, because most everybody that I had networked with said, he's going to Houston. He's going to the Texans because their coaches used to be with him in San Francisco. He never got there. <laughs> kind of surprised. But he, he got a big payday, three years, $67 million. He goes in the front door. As the starter, he's got a good relationship with Josh McDaniels. So the Raiders reinvest in another quarterback. Um, he's a winner. <coughs> Excuse me. He's 31 and 14 as an NFL starter. He does not turn the ball over. The only glitch on Jimmy G is he gets hurt. He always gets hurt. He's been hurt. I think he's had three major injuries in the last four years, and that doesn't include what happened to him in New England. So. They got themselves a pretty good quarterback. The Raiders did. They franchise tag Josh Jacobs. They got Devontae Adams. They got Hunter Renfro. They still have the tight end Darren Waller. So, I mean, there's a lot of components around a pretty efficient quarterback who doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Your reaction? Well, missing Derek Carr is something. I mean, he was a good quarterback, but never had the team that surrounded him. That I mean, how many times have the Raiders made the playoffs in the last 10 years? I mean, very rare. Yeah. So is this, this, is this the answer? Can Jimmy G bring the Raiders back? Well, I think he can. I think the bigger question... And this won't get answered till we go th through the rest of free agency and we see what happens in the draft. Who's going to play defense? It's a big issue. The Raiders' defense has been substandard for groups of years. And they've tried everything. They've drafted high young draft picks, haven't panned out, made mistakes on picks. That just set them back terribly. And you add that 
They've wasted free agent money. So until they fix that defense, I don't think the Raiders can be viewed as upper echelon because I don't think they're a complete team. Yeah, I mean, think about all the other failed draft choices. What was that quarterback that came out of LSU like 20 years ago? Oh, Jamarcus Russell. Yeah, and that was a disaster too. So they've been just cursed for a while. You know, when I grew up back in the Bay Area, you know, in the 70s, the Raiders were a great team back then. And so I still kind of root for them. So I'm, I'm hoping that Jimmy G will kind of bring them, you know, incrementally move the ball downfield for them. You're not an old-time Raider fan. You're not going to drag out a Super Bowl trophy. It's been in the garage. It's all dented and dirty, are you? No. John, John, you're talking about stuff that's 50 years ago now, pal. Yeah, but those games were great, man. Especially, I remember as a, as a young child watching the Raiders in Three Rivers against the Steelers, and those games were just legendary. On we go. Next topic on the table, aside from Jimmy G going to Las Vegas. Yeah, so lots of NFL, um, you know, free agent deals. Let's let's break it down, Hacksaw. Well, we've now got four quarterbacks that changed teams in the first four hours of free agency. Garoppolo, obviously, uh, the latest one. Uh, Jared Stidham left the Raiders to go to Denver. And this is after Josh McDaniels has said, we really like this kid. The kid threw for 365 in his first Raiders start. But he didn't. He just did not see any future there. Denver offered him guaranteed money to go be the backup to Russell Wilson. So he was the first one to jump ship in the early morning hours today when the window in free agency opened. The surprise one, the New York Jets now have no quarterbacks. Think about that. Mike White, who was a high draft pick out of Western Kentucky, played a little bit as a rookie, struggled, played much better last year at a couple of 300-yard games. He vacated. Mike White went to Miami. He's going to be to his backup. And he's big and physical and strong arm, throw the ball down the field. I, I was really surprised, but the Jets have no quarterbacks. They got Zach Wilson, who obviously failed. They've yet to get the Aaron Rodgers deal done. So I don't, I don't know. Is this the front end of something else? And if they don't get Aaron Rodgers, hell, they might call you. <laughs> uh, Jet, Jets, to me, something's not right there. But Mike White defects and goes to uh, Biscayne Bay. And then Case Keenum wound up going to Houston after the Texans failed to get the meeting with Garoppolo. They signed Case Keenum, who's been around the block a lot, uh, played in Washington, played in Cleveland, played for the Rams, did a tour duty very early in Houston. He's more of a reliable backup, but who is he going to be the backup to Davis Mills, who had a really poor season last year as Houston had a miserable season? I don't know. The Texans got to be really stunned by the situation there. Your thoughts on the quarterback carousel? Wow, it's it's amazing how much everything's revolving. It is a carousel. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of war- wondering about the Jets because we always hear about Aaron Rodgers. But what? why not Stafford? I mean, what is what are the Rams going to do with Stafford? I mean, he would be a prime guy to trade if they're tearing the thing down again. Yeah, but they're tearing it down. You also take cap hits. Every time you move these deals, you're swallowing dead money. I mean, as I said, they just swallowed $12 million to remove Jalen Ramsey. And Matthew Stafford's cap number is monstrous. I don't know, it's $24, 30000000 million. They like him. He got hurt playing for them. They're not ready to give up on him. But boy, I'll tell you, it's not that the Rams are not the same franchise. So keep an eye. I've been told, I've not seen it yet in print. I've been told the Green Bay told Aaron Rodgers, we want a decision by Wednesday. Mm. Wednesday is the actual first day of the new business year. And the the salary cap hits and the salary cap structure changes once we get to Wednesday. So we'll see if Aaron Rodgers continues to play this martyr (laughs) 
theatrical performance here or whether he actually announces I'm, I'm staying or I'm going. Uh, but Green Bay's got the insurance policy because they've publicly said we think Jordan Love, the Utah State quarterback who's been there a couple of years as a backup, is about ready to play. So, you know, it may well be that we're going to get an Aaron Rodgers Green Bay to New York Jets trade before we're done. Next question. Okay, let's move on down the list here. So the L.A. Chargers, drama all over the place, and it looks like they've got a lot of big decisions to make. they got a big problem. This story broke Monday afternoon. Austin Eckler, the star running back, has asked to be traded. Think about that. 7,700 all-purpose yards. He has carried that team through bad times into good times with the kid quarterback Justin Herbert. He's grossly underpaid at $6 million a year. And they've been negotiating for the last couple of weeks, and they could not get to a number. I'm sure the Chargers offered a big pay hike, but I don't think the Chargers are giving him $20 million. It's a big issue. He, through his agent, asked for permission to go to other clubs and negotiate a trade. Chargers have not yet responded as to whether they're going to do that or if they're just going to play hardball with him. He doesn't have any bargaining power because he owes them one more year. Mm -hmm. And they could still franchise tag him and keep him a year from now. But are you going to create all that bad ill will? Do you not have a responsibility to take care of one of your in-house guys? You've taken care of other in-house guys, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, They still have to address the fifth-year contract option and the extension for Justin Herbert, which is going to be monster-guaranteed money when you look at the pay scale of NFL star quarterbacks now. But they won't be the same team. If if they let Austin Eckler go, they will not be the same team. That, that to me, is that's a bad business decision. They are talking to teams about deals. Uh, They're talking to Cleveland about Johnny Johnson, former safety with the L.A. Rams. Don't know what the price tag is. He's going to be released by Cleveland. Has not played as well as he'd played in recent years. This story is kind of weird out of Nashville. Tennessee is is gutting the franchise. They're getting rid of everybody, and they're losing guys today in free agency. And they have put Derrick Henry, the heavy-duty running back, on the market. Think about this. He's only making $6 million a year. And we consider he's he's the best heavy duty, big time, big body running back there is in the league. Yeah, he's only making six, and now he sees that all of his partners are gone because have chopped the roster apart. Chargers evidently had conversation with Derrick Henry or with Tennessee about a Derrick Henry trade. Would would you trade Austin Eckler for Derrick Henry? It'd just be a swap of six million contracts. Or is that a stupid thing? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the the the, the the cap is just a very unusual thing here uh, because all these players are getting this huge money. I mean, the quarterback's getting $40 million a year or more. Um, wide receivers and other skill guys getting huge money. It's amazing that not every team is over the cap right now. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm surprised by all of this. I just wonder if the economics are going to work out for these teams. I think the economics catch up to you. John, you can make a big deal, big deal today. But, you know, it's like your wife and the credit card. You do have to pay the credit card somewhere <laughs> yeah. down road. Yeah. And that's what's happening in the NFL. All these teams are getting just whacked because they're way over the cap because of contracts they did three years ago. 
the bigger money is coming due now. In addition to talking to Tennessee, or at least we think they're talking to Tennessee about Derrick Henry, there's conversation about Minnesota and Dalvin Cook. The other scary part of what's happened in this last week, the Chargers were $20 million over the cap, had to get below the cap by this Wednesday. They restructured four contracts, four of their biggest stars. So Keenan Allen moved some of his money back. Mike Williams, who had just signed a big contract, he took some pay deferments and some bonus money. So in the arithmetic of the salary cap, the Chargers started to take that $20 million over, whittled it down to $14 million. And then on Sunday, they restructured Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa. So the Chargers are now, they went from 20 over to $14 million under. And that's what they got oh, to wow. use. Okay. But here's the problem. When you push money out of this year, it goes to next year. The cap figures on those two wide receivers next season will be $30 million apiece. Uh, each? Each. This will be the final year for either Keenan Allen or Mike Williams. Because you can't have $30 million cap figures for your receivers for 2024. They gave them space this year, but the cap figure blows up. And look at the cap figure for Khalil Mack next year, $38 mil. And Joey Bosa, with his restructure, 36 mil. I just don't think you can have that. And if you try to restructure these guys in 2024, that pushes bigger money into 2025. And John, if you don't pay your wife's credit card bill, (laughs) they're going to come pull the plug on our studio, too. So, I mean, the Chargers have got a real issue here with how they're creatively creating cap money now. But what the bill is going to come do, and you, you, some of these guys are going to disappear next year, I think. Yeah, I mean, this is incredible because what is the cap right now? It's around 220. 228. Or 228. 16 million. I mean, but you got like guys making 40, 30, 25, 36. I mean, you can maybe have 10 players. That's all you can afford. So um, I'm, I'm interested to see how this goes. Now, when those players, they defer money. You know, with interest and inflation and everything else, I mean, you're giving up cash. So um, I wonder if it, has the NFL ever done like a Bobby Bonilla deal where they've like extended the payout like 20 years? Anything creative like that, or is that I what we're going to look at? I think there's a limit as to the number of years you can put in a contract. You're getting at the average average salary, which mm-hmm. was what baseball allows. But the NFL, no, because of the injury factor and all of that. Uh, fascinating to see. And on top of everything we just talked about, the Chargers. They still have to detail what they're going to do with Justin Herbert's contract extension. And if you look at the free agent money, the checks written to all these quarterbacks, he's not going to stay in San Diego. San Diego. He's not going to stay in Los Angeles. I don't use the words Los Angeles ever as it relates to the Chargers. You know, they they got a tough situation because they're going to have to give him big upfront guaranteed bonus money and big salary going forward. I have no problem with that because he's a star. The owner might have a problem with it because I don't think the owner has big-time money. Uh, So Chargers, Chargers got a real issue. Okay, before we close out here, we're going to go to Fans Forum. John, remind everybody just briefly about how they can subscribe to what we're doing and what we're doing, not only with our bonus coverage on Monday when the stories break, but our full podcast on Thursday. Yeah, so um, you could subscribe. Well, first of all, you can get involved in the Fans Forum. We got a ton of comments, so we'll still take more. So, you know, chime in, drop your question or comment in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. We're about to start Fans Forum. 
platform. Um, and yeah, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, you know, YouTube and all the audio only platforms. And, you know, by the way, Lee, we're, we're getting out these, these short videos, these YouTube videos, um, that are like under 60 seconds. And those are actually doing really well. And so we've been sharing those on Facebook, um, excuse me, on Instagram, on, um, TikTok, on YouTube, and in Twitter. So we're just going multimedia here. And a reminder, too, check my website. If you like sports, you'll really like what I write every day of the week, including one man's opinion column. And also, please, when you sample what we're doing with our podcast, hit that thumbs up button because that really helps us a great deal all right john you created fans forum where are we going pick, pick some questions all right let's get angel berrigan in here He's, he actually dropped a lot of takes but let's take his first one he says i think san diego state could go to the sweet 16 they should beat charleston and i think they could take virginia i don't know the aztecs play really good defense chokehold defense Virginia plays chokehold defense in the ACC, and there's a lot of talent in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Uh, Virginia-Furman will be a fun game to see. The the other game that San Diego State will pay attention to because they'll face the winner of that one if the Aztecs beat uh, College of Charleston. I do think San Diego State-Virginia would be first team to 30 points probably wins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would be like, you know, body bag game, you know, it'd be <laughs> tough. But, you know, I think the Aztecs, geez, they disappointed us so many times. Hopefully, you know, they regress to the mean. And this is the year, you know, that they can advance to the Sweet 16 and maybe to the Elite Eight. And if they knock off Virginia, then that would get them into the Elite Eight, wouldn't it? Or no, that, the that, Sweet 16. That would get them to the Sweet 16. Pardon here's, me. Here's the big issue here. Um, we've got the top four seeds in each of the regions. Those are all marquee teams with superstar talent. I think the scariest team that's not a number one seed is Penny Hardaway's Memphis Tigers. Oh, yeah. Holy cow. Have they got firepower? Have they got size? Do they run the floor? So Memphis, um, it may be unfair to say that might be a Cinderella team, but outside of the number one seeds... Memphis, to me, is the scariest team in the whole doggone tournament just because of the huge group of athletes in there. I think the intangible factor in March Madness, are you playing well right now? Oh, are yeah. you healthy right now? Yep. Memphis checks off all those boxes. All right, and we go. Next question. Where on do you want to go? go? All right, so let's go here to, to Ballpark Pretzel. <laughs> and he says, as a San Diego native, I'm very upset that a new sports arena was not built on the Horton Plaza site. NBA, NHL, an 18,000-seat version of Hall H for Comic-Con. Who do we blame? Politicians? Hoteliers? Well, it, real estate is a real challenge because does the city own that land or does somebody else own that land? And if somebody else is own that land, then you're going to have to pay to get that land if it's the Horton Plaza site, for example. You know, because the city actually owns the sports arena site, that's why they're able to create a new venue. But the other issue, the amount of money it takes to build an 18,000-seat NBA NHL arena is amazing. And why would you build it when you really have no chance of getting a pro basketball team in Southern California? And I doubt seriously you'd be in the pecking order for an NHL team just because of the proximity to Los Angeles and the franchises in that market. So if, if you build a new entertainment arena and then you build out on that plot of land – all types of business entities and housing. That's what helps you pay for the construction of the new facility. It's it's novel to say, let's build a new football stadium down in Chula Vista on the Bayfront. Or it's novel to say, 
Horton Plaza downtown destination point. But how do you acquire the land? What does it cost for the land? How much are you going to spend to build a state-of-the-art arena, which is not cheap? And are you doing this with the idea you think you can get a franchise? I don't think you build a huge arena on spec. That That's why that's not happening here in San Diego. Yeah, well, and plus they have that uh, new sports arena that's supposed to go in. You know, they're off of Rosecrans. But that's going to be a smaller stadium. I mean, yes. it's not going to be or arena. It's not NBA, NHL legit, right? I mean, it's going to be for concerts and, you know, lacrosse and indoor soccer, that sort of thing. So I'm kind of, it just seems like San Diego, we used to be like this major market city with an NFL team, NBA team. And now we're just kind of regressing to be a a very small market, just a single major pro pro sports franchise. The cost of putting facilities up now is monstrous. And I think that's the rationale as to why you can't get things done in California. The only uh, intangible would be if a billionaire like Jeff Bezos came in and said, I am going to build a stadium. You'd have to find the land, buy the land, but he's got the resources in his checking account to build it. And then he'd have the money left over to go buy somebody's franchise and move it here. But I, I think that's just it's a reach right now. And NFL is not expanding. I don't think anybody's moving in the NFL. Even the small markets like Jacksonville and Buffalo are spending all their money and getting st- support in their communities to build new stadiums or renovate stadiums. Uh, NBA is, yeah, they've talked about expansion and, you know, they're looking seriously at Las Vegas. uh, And and I think Seattle is going to get a supersonic type franchise back there. There is pressure for hockey to expand, but it's not coming here because there's no arena. Won't be an arena here a week from Tuesday. Uh, (laughs) I, I think, I think, the NHL is seriously getting pressure points to go back to Quebec City, which had a great World Hockey Association franchise, and the Quebec Nordique became the Colorado Avalanche, but now they have a new arena in Quebec. And there's talk about Houston, just because Houston, everything in Texas is big, and so is Houston. So I don't think hockey's available. So I, I just don't think at the end of the day, you, you can't invest all that money with the hope we might get a franchise when there's no franchise is probably going to be made available to the market. Next question. All right, let's uh, let's go take a look at some of these um, YouTube comments. Got some good ones here. And um, here it is. Um, so this is uh, from David Delamuth, and he says, let's talk about, you know, no respect to San Diego State. He says, they don't have respect because they haven't won an NCAA tournament game since 2015. That COVID season screwed us to this day. Figured we would have gone far that year. Could have helped even more in recruiting, in my opinion. Well, recruiting has gone pretty well. And Brian Dutcher's done a phenomenal job unearthing all these talents and then getting the right type of kid on the transfer portal. Uh, the 30-2 and two season. If there was anybody who had a chance to go down the road, win a couple games in the tournament, that was a really, really good basketball team. Uh, you know, in prior seasons, we we had, you know, Kawhi Leonard's team was phenomenal. Uh, the Jamal Russell team was pretty good, but they just didn't get it done against the people they played. It, you know, the Aztecs, they don't, never like to talk about it, but you're haunted because the flashbacks come. Creighton, Syracuse. Houston. Games they led in, they got away. Games they couldn't handle what the Syracuse Orange were doing to them defensively. So this next thing, March Madness is just a different beast. And short preparation time and travel, that's hard. I mean, San Diego State's got to go all the way across the country to Orlando, and they don't have a good record on the eastern seaboard. But luckily, the way the brackets fell, 
they could beat College of Charleston, and that'd be one feather in their cap, and then they'd be able to say, hey, we're going to play Virginia, and, geez, that might be a 33-30 game. <laughs> well, yeah, back, it's like back in the day when they didn't have a shot clock, right? You know, and you know, Coach Dean Smith was running on the four-corner offense. Um, I, yeah, they just got to get over the hump. You know I mean, and hopefully this is the year that they do it. I think they're built for this. I mean, they go those nine guys. Every one of them is a legit starter. And, you know, Every t- every game it's someone differently. Like last in the championship game against Utah State, it was Jaden Ladee, and boy did he have a great game. And to your point earlier in the podcast, you talked about AG, and man that that kid he comes in the game, he doesn't put up a lot of points, but the, the, everything changes when he's in the game as well. So the Aztecs, I think, are built to have a good season. We, they just got to be able to hit their shots, and if they're shooting forty percent or more, I think they're going to be in good shape. Here's the question, and somebody out there can respond, and maybe on our Thursday podcast we'll answer it. If this defense was playing against the Malachi Flynn thirty and two defense, Ooh. what do you think would have happened in that game? If this if this defense was playing against the Kawhi Leonard team, what do you think would have happened in that game? I really believe this is the best defense, the deepest defense, the longest defense. Mm-hmm that Brian Dutcher's ever had. Yeah, well, I think some of those other teams were ranked higher according to the defensive metrics than this year's team. But this year's team has um, a, a, ba- a better balance of offense and defense. So I, I think, yeah, I think if you were to match this team up against Malachi Flynn's team, I think this team probably wins. Kawhi's team maybe might be a little bit different because those guys were huge. Those guys were aggressive athletes. I mean, that would be a great game if you can go in the Wayback Machine. Can't wait for Thursday. We're going forward for March Madness in a first-round game against College of Charleston. Got a couple more questions you want to post here? Yeah, we do. So um, here's one about the Juan Soto deal. Is he worth a half a billion dollars? And um, uh, Street Cred Tenopoli says, if that is his asking price, whether he is good for the Padres or not, it's better to let him play for a year and let him earn it. MVP-type season? Then pay him. If he is what we saw with the Padre jersey, then trade him and go for Otani. You know, street cred, if we were at Harvard University, you'd be before the academic board for plagiarism because that those two words, earn it, when I was just going to come out of my mouth, you stole it from me. <laughs> you know, don't hit 232. Don't play the outfield like there's landmines planted out there. He's a good guy, really established player. Let's see if he can hit back to the way he hit in Washington early on. There's no reason he can't, because look at who he's surrounded by in the batting order. But he's got to have good seasons here. Don't don't give me a 242 season, even if he hits 21 home runs, because that's not that's not a 40 or 50 million dollar player. So, yeah, pressure on him. So be it. And if the agent's the one that's leaking this five hundred five million dollar salary figure, now he creates more pressure for the young outfielder. But let's just kind of see what kind of season he has. If he doesn't get hurt, I think he should have a good season. Boy, because he's got some bombers around him in that batting order. Yeah, I mean, he was, I think he hit a couple of bombs in the last uh, WPC game, you know, for the Dominican Republic. And in fact, I think Machado had some home runs there, too. And you, so to your point, you surround him with talent. 
I think this is the year the Soto really plays up to, you know, at what everyone expects him to be. I think there's a lot of people in the league that think he's going to have the greatest war of any player in Major League Baseball. If that happens... Then well, we're going to have a really great season. Yeah, and that means, you know, Peter Seidler, man, you may not be able to cover it all with the checkbook. You might have to get the credit card as well to pay this guy. Uh, but I think, he, you know, this, this could be just, it's just a fascinating time to be a Padre fan. Well, I won't report you to the Harvard University Discipline Committee because you stole my term. Earn it. <laughs> but you're correct, uh, Cred. He needs to earn it. Next question. Okay, so we got another Padre comment here. And this is about, you know, uh, Thor. You know, Syndergaard was doing well. Tatis was struggling to start the season. And Mangadolo says, maybe because he's off the juice, you know, talking about Tatis. He has no hate. I'm just saying. This guy, by the way, is a Dodger fan. Even in his avatar, he was wearing his Dodger hat. He says, I'm rooting for the guy because he's an amazing talent. Manga, take that lid off, please. (laughs) If you're going to join our podcast, take that lid off. Uh, you know, it, it went through my mind initially uh, when, when this Tatis drug situation showed up last year that it raised questions about, A, how stupid he was to do this, and B, was he doing this as he roared through the Padre farm system after coming from the White Sox organization? I hope not. I will say this, though. He can't cheat. He's a felon. He has now, because he was suspended, he now goes under the drug testing program, and he can get a phone call any hour, any day to take a drug test. He gets tested nine times a year. And that's just not for PEDs. That's for virtually everything. So, pal, don't take the wrong cold medication. (laughs) You've got to be careful Mm -hmm. uh, because of the fact he, in essence, is a convicted felon. I hope he bounces back. He, you know, had had the 0 for 16 start. They had a couple of hits. It did not get another hit in the Padres Monday game early on. So we'll just see. We still got three weeks to go. You know, I, I said last Thursday on the podcast, if the guy's hitting one for 27 by next Thursday when we join you on our, our regular podcast, I'll start to be concerned. We'll just see if he snaps out of it. You know, and the other piece of the equation. These are not major league games. He doesn't have his whole lineup around him. But when you put him at the front end of that batting order with Machado and then Soto and then Xander, that's pretty good batting order. So he'll be seeing a very different variety of pitches. And that should help everybody because everybody will be getting better pitches to look at. Because you don't want to get put on base because of who's behind you in the batting order. Yeah. I mean, and then you got Jacob Cronenworth and you got Nelson Cruz. I mean, this lineup is going to be amazing. Now, obviously, since he got busted for the PEDs, he's getting aggressively drug tests, right? You say a felony, but really it's a baseball felony, right? Yes. Okay. But prior to that, all players get random tests, don't they? I'm not to that magnitude and correct. that number. So, and. so I think what I think what I'm getting at is is that the early Tatis that we saw when he was Superman. Do you think he was um, on the juice then, or do you think he was clean and then maybe took the steroids as a way to accelerate his healing? I think the steroids were strictly to accelerate the healing, but it was stupid. Why would you buy anything on the black market in the Dominican Republic? Mm-hmm. Um, I told you the story months ago, two years ago at Christmas time. The New York Daily News took one of their baseball beat writers and sent him to Puerto Rico and gave him a wad of cash. And the first weekend he was there, 
He bought virtually every type of illegal baseball substance you can on a street corner. Wow. <laughs> and then he brought it back. He couldn't get it into the country, but he mm-hmm. took pictures of it and all that. And New York Post ran this big thing, or New York Daily News ran this big thing, just about how illegal all the stuff was on the streets of the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico. And a baseball's got a huge problem down there in terms of drug testing all those young players and educating those young players. You can't buy stuff on the street corner. So why Tatis would ever do this and deal with voodoo doctors? Absolutely beyond me. Yeah, I mean, I was really shocked by the whole thing when it went down. Now, you know, obviously the Dominican Republic is a very impoverished nation. For a lot of these kids, it's their only way out is only to be a ball player. Island. Yeah, so a lot of them are taking these big gambles, these big risks. But someone like Tatis, who comes from a family that really shouldn't have money problems, um, it's amazing that he is doing that. It was just... I'm going to I'm going to give him a mulligan on this, you know, making a stupid deci- uh, decision when you're a 23 year old. It seems like he's a different man now. OK, and I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. But if he gets strike two on this, I think it's going to be a world of hurt. Well, I don't think that'll happen. I'm a big believer in second chances. He's been educated. He's been dis- uh, told how he will conduct his business going forward. And to me, the bigger question is. Is he going to do this again? I don't think so. I think he's street smart enough to know that he's got this contract and he's got a responsibility to Peter Seidler and a responsibility to this community and all these great fans that watch our live stream and go to Pondera Games. That's right. The the bigger question is the health issue. Can he stay healthy with the wrist? Does he not injure the shoulder? And what will be the experience playing right field at Petco Park with the porch and the corners that jut in and out and Mm -hmm. the fences? There's a learning curve that he has to go on there. Hey, listen, we hope you've enjoyed our bonus podcast on Monday covering March Madness, covering the NFL, and then what you had to say as we exchange gunfire on Fans Forum. We remind you, we're here Monday for bonus coverage. We're here Thursday for the full podcast. And go to my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com to check out what I write, including my one man's opinion column today about who San Diego State is, why San Diego State is this way, and how San Diego State got to be where they are. Hope you enjoyed it. John, we'll talk to you Thursday. Hope you don't get traded. Uh, (laughs) NFL free agency, you're under contract. You cannot leave. And our thanks to our executive producer, the barking black Labrador retriever, Nona, uh, not necessarily agree with everything we have to say. Glad you're with us on our podcast. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you come Thursday on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.